Welcome to the Convergence Podcast, and thank you for joining us. This past Sunday, as we ended our 21-day corporate fast, our lead pastor, Greg Seamus, gave us an empowering message about how God will always equip us for where He's called us. We pray that the message speaks to you and encourages you wherever you are at. God bless. So we've been on we've been on a series. Um, <clears throat> we've been kind of focusing on the fast on 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 this phrase, "Be the change." And that kind of that came out of a staff meeting. We were just really asking the Lord, "What is it for you know, 2020?" And you know, you're probably going to have a million things on vision, right? Because it's 2020, and I'm sure the prophetic you know Elijah list were going crazy on the 2020 year. And uh, the whole idea of vision. Um, But we felt like it's time for us not to just look for change, but be that change. And it, you know, one of the things that that Jesus did is that he he communed with the Father, right? He was he was in heavenly places. He was seated in heavenly places, like we are now, and he had this constant connection to heaven. And one thing I, <clears throat> one thing I, uh, I've come to realize is super simple, but I've come to realize that that a- an encounter must lead you somewhere. And I remember when the the renewal took place in 1994. I remember going to Toronto in 1996. I remember planning on spending only five days in Toronto. And then wound up me and Wendy spent 10 days in Toronto. I remember getting wrecked by God. I remember, you know what I mean by when I say that, right? Okay, so just want to make sure God's not a bad guy. Um, wrecked by God in a good way. I remember <clears throat> falling under the presence of the Lord, which has never happened to me before. And the assemblies of God, they used to call it being slain in the spirit. I never understood that. I thought it was very painful to be slain in the spirit, like slain. Um, and so I like what, what kind of Toronto took on is like resting before the Lord. And so our resting in God. And I just remember this, this uh, older lady. See, I was younger then. Yes. And, uh, and I just remember her just putting, because I was bracing myself. You're not going to push me over. You're not going to do any of the shenanigans, you know, because I, I had witnessed actually somebody uh, ministering in a park in Union City doing open air preaching, call people forward and it would literally put their, his leg behind someone else's ankles and push him down and then say, in the name of Jesus. I felt like clobbering him. I felt like, you know, I was only 20 years old, but I felt like throwing my Bible, something. I was like calling this guy out. So, because I'm super big on dignity and just loving people, and if the Lord's going to do it, the Lord's going to do it. He doesn't need our help. Um, so I just remember uh, just falling under the presence of the Lord. So I, I remember these encounters, these sweet encounters with the Lord. And I remember, too, that um, the, when Pensacola opened up and all these watering holes in the Spirit, if I could say that, these watering holes, God was pouring His Spirit out, and people were coming from all over the world but the encounter has to lead you somewhere. Now I know that the encounter 
would lead you into greater intimacy with Jesus. But greater intimacy with Jesus must lead us somewhere. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, it says, as you go or go make disciples of all nations. If we're going to dive into the Father's heart, it's going to lead us to nations. If we're going to fall in love with Jesus more and more, it's going to lead us to lost people. My encounter with the Lord has everything to do with me and him on a personal level, but it also has to do with displaying his glory all over the earth. The one thing that I marvel about Jesus is that he didn't stay on the hill and just encounter the Father through the night. Crippled people were healed. Blind eyes were opened. He had a ministry schedule that was pretty intense. Wherever he would go, he was living from one realm to another. So that means that the Father was healing people. That means eyes were being opened. That means demons were being cast out because an encounter must lead us somewhere. You see, in Isaiah chapter 6, When he encounters the throne room, I mean, we get a picture in Isaiah 6 of Isaiah encountering the throne room. How many people know Isaiah? He encounters the throne room, and we kind of get a picture in Isaiah 6 of what's actually taking place in Revelation 4 and 5. So Isaiah, there, he's there, and he says, he says I'm, I'm undone. And I love what the, what the triune God says, who will go for us? Because an encounter leads us somewhere. In other words, my encounter with the Lord, if I truly am encountering, the way I see scripture, if I'm truly encountering the Lord, it's gonna lead me to the lost. It's gonna lead me to the broken. When I talk to someone about Christ, I'm releasing the love of God to that individual. And I have, I have RSS. Does, it, does anyone know what RSS means? An RSS feed? My son, Jordan, was telling me, Dad, I don't know what an RSS feed is. I'm like, what? RSS feeds are the best thing on the planet. Well, for me it is. Maybe it's an outdated thing. How many people know an RSS feed? Okay, so you just get your, you get your reader, R-E-E-D-E-R app, and you just go ahead and have it there, and then you just subscribe to different, you know, write, you know, blogs or whatever, and then in the morning, boom, it just comes up. Yeah, great. You don't have to go to the website. You just scan through it. That's my little commercial on, reader, on RSS feeds. All right, super great. Um, what was I going to say about those? One thing that's really striking to me over the last two weeks, not really striking, like, oh my gosh, you know, not like that, but just noticing how, how many people are trying to tell us politically what we need to do in the kingdom. 
It's wrong to share your faith. It's wrong to bring good news to people who are dying. It's almost as if they don't understand what heaven and hell is really all about. And that's one thing I think the church has steered away from for a number of years is this whole idea of a Christless eternity. Because you're going to be, we're all going to be in eternity somewhere. Either we're going to be with Jesus or we're going to be in a lake of fire. One or the other. And it's eternal. That's kind of hard to fathom. I used to tell people, it's kind of like, eternity is kind of like 10 to the hundredth millionth power, if you know math. That's not what I want to talk about. Whew. Whew. Starting to get warm in the room. So in other words, I can't get, um, how do I say this? I can't get selfish with my encounter. The love of God, love in order for it to be loved has to be expressed. How do you compartmentalize love? How do you show encouragement or love or affection or words or whatever? Love has to be displayed in order for it to be recognized as love. Are you guys all right? I know I say that every single week. I try not to. I say, you guys are all right? I have people come up to me, yeah, we're fine. We're just thinking. And I'm, I go, I know. I don't know why I say that. I'm trying to break it. Are you guys, anyway, (laughs) not going to do that. So this whole idea of of being the change is actually not forcing ourselves to do it. It's not willing ourselves, like when I say will, like will to do it. It's more out of an expression that we see in the Old Testament where one of the prophets says, it's like fire in my bones. And like Paul the Apostle says, it's the love of God that compels me. It's the love of God that compels me, not duty. Now, discipline is fine. I'm okay with discipline. I'm okay with talking to the Lord. I say, I know I need to, I should be doing this. It's better for me to say, Father, put it in my heart to do this. Line my heart up with a man who was who jailed believers, encountered Jesus, and it's the love that's in his heart that compels him to go. That's convicting for me. And so I, I would ask myself a question, and that is around I want to, I want to get into Exodus 4 to in a second. So if you want to make sure this is legal, we'll go into Exodus 4. So if I knew that every single person that I would share the love of God with would get saved, how much more would I share the love of God? 
Or if I knew how every single person I prayed for would be healed while I lay hands on the sick. So our encounter with the Lord must lead us to the gates. And it shouldn't be compelled by duty or what a Christian's supposed to do. Love pursues. If your kids are not following the Lord, you're going to pursue them at least in prayer. You're going to pursue them by encouraging them when you can. You're going to pursue them by living a godly lifestyle no matter what they're doing. You're going to pursue them in so many ways because love pursues. For God so loved the world, he gave. He pursued our hearts when we rejected him, when we can care less about him, when humanity, all his creation, rejected him, kept on coming, and still does. Isn't he good? But we're real. Amen. We live in a real world. We're, we're broken. We're saved by grace, praise God. <clears throat> we're doing our best to love Jesus. We're doing our best to manage our life. Best to steward everything that God's given us and called us to do. And we still, we're still, we still deal with internal things that, that keep us from from fulfilling the call that God has in our life. And there's no better example, well, there is more, there's a lot of examples, I shouldn't rank them. No better, there's, there's an example with Moses. And I, I, want, us, I want us to turn there, and I, I just want to speak, I say this in faith every single week. I want to speak for about 10 minutes on Moses. That's your point where you guys say, amen. Oh, that's cool. All right. You can get hip like that. They still say cool. That's good. Did I say, did I say Genesis? I said Exodus, right? Yee. All right. So let me just set this, the, the standard here. <clears throat> if, actually, if we're going to be the change, there's four things that we see. There's tons of stuff in Moses' life, but there's four things I want to bring out. Um, that Moses had to overcome in order to get to the place where God's actually called them. So you guys know Israel is in bondage for 400 years. Joseph was really the last person and then the, the Pharaoh took over and all the Pharaohs took over and they moved into slavery. They were there for 400 years and they were crying out to the Lord. That's the context. We understand too that Moses was raised in royalty. That Moses, and there's, there's so many parallels because Every single person that's seated here is raised in royalty. Like we have royal, we have kingdom royal blood flowing through our veins. So we are royalty. Just turn to the person next to you and say, you're royalty. You're royalty. You're part of it. You're, you're a king's kid. So, so he's raised in royalty. I don't know how long he was raised in, in royalty. We understand. Remember that 
Moses' mother weaved a basket. There was gonna, they were going to destroy all the children. And uh, Moses' mother weaves the basket, puts him down the river. Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses. And Moses, as a Hebrew, is raised in royalty. So he understands royal protocol. He was raised to be a king. Well, the, something grows in Moses, and he sees mistreatment from the Egyptians to the Hebrews, and he goes and he slaughters an Egyptian. So now Moses, who is raised in royalty, is a murderer. Moses takes off, and I believe he's gone for 40 years. 40 years of fleeing Egypt. When you're raised in royalty, you, there's, you have everything. I'll just say that. Like, he, he had everything given to him. Everything was on the silver platter. He was raised by tutors who was raising him up to be a prince or a king. And, and he, he had all those things. And then he murders someone. He, he gets fearful. He takes off for his own life. And he goes in the backside of the wilderness and he finds his wife, uh, Sephora, I believe. And they go ahead and start a family and he's there for 40 years. And then all of a sudden, God comes. And so in Exodus chapter 3, the Lord encounters Moses in a burning bush. And we all know the Sunday school story, right? But it's more than a Sunday school story. So he encounters, the Lord encounters, the Lord encounters Moses because God is going to select Moses. And God uses a supernatural element to actually get Moses' attention. So I don't know what it was for 40 years if you're raised royalty and now you're in the backside, you pretty much have got all your ducks in a row on how you're going to raise your kids and how you're going to do all these things, right? You, you settled in after 40 years into a lifestyle that, um, that you're very comfortable with. But yet, I, stu- I still think that there's this gnawing thing in Moses that his people are still in bondage. Now, I don't know geographically how far Moses was from Egypt. I don't know how far the outside of the wilderness it was. I I could do that research later. I just don't know. But God shows up, and now it's time for Moses to begin to fulfill God's mandate on his life. And Moses really doesn't know it. And so the Lord approaches him, um, and let's pick it up in verse 7. Are you guys with me? I said I wouldn't do that. Or are you guys all right? That's the one I wouldn't. Okay, anyway. The Lord said, verse 7, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have to come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, the Hivites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. You know, it's flowing with milk and honey. That's a good. That's a good leadership vision. Give people a picture of what is coming. One problem: 
you have a bunch of people, you have armies set out against you. You know, like great for the first part of the vision, the second one I don't like. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way of the Egyptians um, are opposing them, oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You think at that point Moses would be doing some quick calculations? Because Pharaoh is his stepdad. So he's gone for 40 years, but that's his stepdad. So God chooses somebody in the family line, even though it's a step, even the family, not the bloodline, but the family line, and he's going to say, now I want you to go and rescue my people out of bondage in Egypt. There's probably three million people there. This is not... This is not a a small group of 12. This is 3 million people. And so Moses responds, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Which really leads us to our first point. The first point is that Moses had to overcome the feeling of being inferior. He says, who am I to go to Pharaoh? He was a Hebrew, and he was a murderer. And I love the Lord's answer in verse 12. He says, and God said, I will be with you. Now, what's interesting in Scripture is that when God calls Isaiah... Jeremiah, Old Testament characters, that's the one thing he always says. And that's the one thing we all need. Now, we're talking about an Old Testament, an Old Covenant reality. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Come on now. And the Holy Spirit lives in me. So he's always with us. So Moses was probably thinking about some kind of strategic plan. But the Lord uses five words. I will be with you. That's my plan. Are you guys okay with his plan? I'd be freaking out over his plan. But Moses is feeling this sense of inferiority in the sense of Moses felt lesser, Moses felt unworthy, Moses felt unimportant, he's in the backside of a desert, and you're calling me to go back to my stepfather and release three million people out of Egypt? Do you know who you're talking to? And I've known so many believers who feel inferior in the kingdom. And that's a lie that is just not worth buying into. No lie is worth buying into, but especially that one. So Moses had to rise above his inferiority, 
which brings us all the way to chapter 4, verse 1. So the Lord talks to him, and he says, here's a sign, and, you know, he's a good, remember, he's still father, right? God is still father, right? God is still, I'm going to keep saying it until, okay, just, I just want to make sure. So, the Lord instructs Moses. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the elders, and I want you to tell, him, tell them, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to set you free. And Moses is like, That's, these are the people I left. Like, I scattered. I, and so we, we find it, we pick it up in verse 4. Oh, let's look at verse 21, chapter 3. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people so that when you leave, you will not be empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. Can we say amen? <laughs> okay. Um, which you will put on your sons and which you put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. They didn't know it yet, but they would be in the wilderness for 40 years. So let's plunder the enemy. Let's take all the gold and all the silver and all this, and let's resource you guys going out, because that's how good God is. Moses answers in verse 1 of chapter 4, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you. The second thing he had to overhurdle was the feeling of insignificance. In other words, he didn't feel like he had any influence. So he felt inferior. He felt like he didn't have any influence. He felt like if I go to them, they're just going to say, you know what? God did not show up to you, show up before you and talk to you. This is all bogus. That's that would be a legitimate question, don't you think? And so the Lord shows up, and he asked them, here's the response is, is not, I am with you. He already established that. He also said, what is in your hand? Another five-word. You know how the Lord is? <laughs> we want these long answers from the Lord, and it's just like, no, what's in your hand? What gifts do you have? What have I given you? Everybody in this room is a 10. On a scale of 1 to 10, everybody's a 10. There's not a 7 or a 4 or a You're a 10. And what God, when God assigns us to, quote, be the change, he does equip us. And you're equipped. And one of the things I find, oh, it kind of grieves my heart, is that when the body of Christ compares themselves to one another. I don't even like that in my family. We've always told our kids, don't compare yourself to each other. And as, a, as parents, we never said, I wish you were more like. Those are words that'll, that'll develop root systems for life. If you were more like, 
When we say those words, there's something that happens on the inside of that, at that child that I'm not good enough, you don't love me enough, and it begins, unless those are, and those could be healed and corrected, say amen. There could be restoration, say amen. But when we begin to compare ourselves to each other, I don't have that kind of voice, I don't have that kind of this, I don't have that kind of that, I wish I could witness better, I wish I could be like that person, I wish I had that kind of anointing to heal the sick, I wish I had that kind of anointing to prophesy, I wish I had this, I wish I had that, and the Lord is asking you, what is in your hand? What have I given you? So the Lord throws out this test, and he tells Moses, what's in your hand? And he says, probably a piece of wood or a staff. He says, throw it on the ground. You never grab a snake by the tail. I've never seen anyone successfully try and attempt to grab a snake by the tail. Now, I could be wrong. You could be on YouTube, and YouTube is anyway. But I've always seen them go after the head. Grab them by the here and just, you know, lock them up. The tail's going like this. So when he says, throw the staff on the ground, now pick it up by the tail, I say, you. I mean, just really, just be, be in the moment, right? Be in the moment. So Moses goes ahead and he grabs the, he grabs the snake by the tail and it becomes a piece of wood again. That's a supernatural encounter. Now, you would think Moses would say, yes, sir. After that, you would think, even after the miraculous, there's hesitation. So the Lord says, Moses, put your hand inside your cloak. Moses is like, he does it, pulls it out. It's leprous. So leprosy was a no-no. Like that was a disease you were declared unclean. That's life, you know, impacting disease. It eats away at your body and all this. So I don't know what, if Moses would, ah, you know, I don't know. I don't know what, I would love to put myself in the moment, right? Because Moses didn't, the Lord didn't say, hey, when you take your hand out, it'll be leprous. It's like, put it in and take it out. I would just put it in and took it out and said, okay, what's the point? You know, he puts it in, boom, it's leprous. It's white as snow. And he, <laughs> thank God, he says, put it back in. You don't know what's going to come out, right? A bunny, you know, or his hand turns into something. You know, you just no idea. It's kind of like, anyway. Uh, bunny, that's a dumb one. But, and it's normal. Wow, you would think, dude, that's amazing. That overcomes my inferiority. That overcomes me being insignificant. I have influence. God is with me. And then we go to verse 10. So Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow to speech and to tongue. Moses has had two significant encounters where he throws, I mean, something that's, a piece of wood becomes something alive, which comes a piece of wood again. 
And then his hand comes out, it's leprous, and he puts it back in, he takes it out, and it's normal. And he's still saying, hey, maybe you need to get somebody else because I really don't know how to speak well. I like how the NLT translates it. It says, I'm not very good with words. Anyone ever feel like that? Lord, I'm not very good with words. I get tongue-tied and my words get all tangled. That's what it says in the NLT. I can't share my faith with somebody. I can't be the change with somebody's life or for, for for a mountain, for the music industry or for the creative industry, whatever it is, I can't do it. My words go sideways. That's what he's saying. Now, some people thought that Moses had a stuttering problem. He just, you know, whatever it is, he was raised royalty, but he felt like he couldn't communicate real well. And you're going to send me to rescue these people, and I'm going to have to talk to my stepfather, and I'm going to have to communicate your heart, and I don't even have the, I can't even talk real well. Would you please look for somebody else? But you know, the Lord is good to all of us who are leaders. And we're all leaders. And so Moses tells him this, and the Lord said, who gave human beings their mouths? Oh, you did. Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight, makes them blind? He says, verse 12, now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So this breaks the I'm inadequate part of it. And this here, in so many ways, is brothers and sisters in the Lord who feel like they're not trained enough, they don't, have the, they don't have the insights. They don't have this. They don't have that. They don't have, I can't do this. I, you don't understand how I think. I, don't, I can't think like that. And we just, we just continually disqualify ourselves. And I'm, I'm just being honest, right? I mean, we do. We, we look at our lack instead of looking at God. We look at all the things that, that would cause us not to fulfill the calling of God in our lives, the things that we're scared of, the things that we see that, that are potential road hazards in the things that God has called us to do. And really, that's, that's not even really up to us because God takes broken vessels and he uses us anyway. He just wants us to be available. So there's Moses, and I don't even know how Moses spoke this to the Lord. There's no stuttering in the word. I'm slow to speak. I don't have the wit enough. I don't have the, I can't think on the, I can't think like this. If Pharaoh says something to me, I, I got to have an answer. I don't have, I'm just not that quick. I can't, you know, I've had people like that. I was like, I need to take what he says, go back to my room, think about it for about four hours and come back and give him an answer. And then finally, verse 13. I just want you, the Lord is being so kind to him right now. I am with you, what's in your hand. 
I will, I will help you speak. I will teach all this insignificance and all this kind of stuff. And I, the encounter, the supernatural, all this stuff that's taking place. And Moses says in verse 13, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Wow. The Lord shows up to you in a burning bush. You're having this encounter with God. He says, take your sandals off for the place that you are stand is holy. Can you imagine the presence of the Lord that was felt in that moment? He releases supernatural encouragement into Moses' life and still Moses has the capacity to say, thank you for everything that you've shown me Thank you for showing me and encountering me. Thank you for the miraculous. Thank you for all these things that I've seen in your life. And in, in this moment, please send someone else. Because, see, an encounter must lead you somewhere. I can't remember who said this years ago, but he said, a pastor said this years ago, I picked it up, I don't even know where. Uh, I don't even have the phrase totally right, but I'll use it in this context. Because we don't have a, like a, a witnessing problem, we have a love problem. Whoa, that's kind of stinging. Right there. So I find myself being so wrapped up in my life that I don't really think about as much as I would want the lives of others. I'm talking about people who don't know the Lord. Or for some, we silence ourselves because we're, we think we're intruding. It's almost like you have a cure to a disease and you can give it to this person and we just walk right by. I don't want to intrude on what's going on in your life even though there's a timeline on your life. We do carry the eternal cure for someone's life. And I just want to challenge all of us, me included, I want to challenge all of us that really it starts with one life. Can we be the change in one life? Can we bring a smile? Can we bring an encouragement? I'm talking at the very grassroots. I'm not talking about rescuing three million people. I'm just talking about being a light. Jesus says, you're the light of the world, right? You're a city on a hill, right? Isaiah 61, Isaiah 60 says, arise, shine, for your light has come. Like it's time for us to shine. It's time for us to be light in dark places. It's time for us to put our shoulders back, not in arrogance, but in confidence, believing that God wants to rescue and save those that are around us and that we're following, we're seeing what the Father's doing and we're walking in that reality. 
What I, what I want to do is I want to be responding to the Holy Spirit, not reacting to darkness. The one thing that I see in the New Testament is that Jesus never reacted to darkness. He always responded to the Father. And I can react. <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one. I, I can read those RSS feeds and say, what? We need to start a movement. You know, like this is crazy. It's better to respond. It's better to go to heaven and say, Father, what do you think about this? I only want to do what you're telling me to do. I want to respond to your heart. Are you guys all right? Let me just wrap it up. We had the same problem with Gideon, right? Gideon is chomping down grapes in a wine press. Not chomping, but you know, he's stomping. That's better, thank you. Chomping down, stomping. <laughs> Woo, all right. And so the, the Lord appears to him and says, hey, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. And Gideon is like, <laughs> that's the best one I've heard in about 10 years. My family is the least, has the least influence of the tribes. And my tribe and my family is pretty much least, and I'm the least in my family. It just doesn't get any lower than that. And the angel didn't say, hey, dude, you're right. <laughs> angel didn't do it. And the angel says, Here's, this, you know, and then he says, why, why are you coming and where are all the miracles? Ever ask those questions? The Lord never answers those questions. He says, go in the, in the power of the might of the Lord or something like that. He says, go. Doesn't respond to the questions. Can you imagine just for a moment that you're hiding from the Midianites and you're like stomping, not chomping, stomping these grapes. An angel of the Lord comes and he chooses you. And I felt like the Lord said to me this morning, tell my, my people that they are all mighty warriors. Every one of them. The New Testament equates it like this. You're more than a conqueror. So how do, how do we do this? How do we, how do we just step in? Well, here's what I do. In the morning, I'm trying to break. I could pray without ceasing, but I do have my time in the morning. It's on my calendar. I've been asking the Lord for a year and a half, two years. Put your love in my heart. I'm asking the Lord, I don't want to strive to do something. I just want the love of God to so overwhelm me that I must. Does that make sense? Because I don't want to turn into duty. 
I want it being an expression of his heart through me. The only way the fruit's produced is if the branch is abiding in the vine. So when I grab my heart, I'm asking the Lord to fill my heart, grab me with his love for the world. I want to consume me like I did the Apostle Paul. I don't want to be a complainer. I want to be doing something. It's easy to point out the problems. It takes a leader to create a solution. Anyone can point out problems. But who's going to be the change agent? Matthew 28, 19. As you go, make disciples of all people. That's from our commander-in-chief. Are you guys there? Oh. <laughs> I tried not to do that. <clears throat> so here's how I would like to end today. I want to end it with communion. And I want to end it in our service, it being our service, I want to end it with almost like a, I don't know, I don't know, pledge is probably not a good word, but that's the word, I, I, you know, a commitment, a fresh commitment to say, I'm yours. I want to be filled with the love of God and I want to reach a lost world. Why? Because that's what he did. What motivated Jesus to come to the earth? Because he had to? Because it was his duty? You guys know the word, right? Love did. Love did. What kept him on the cross? Love did. So I can't live in your world. And you can't live in mine. We can know people from... But you have family, you have family, you have friends, you have co-workers, you have... You have the, the platform that God's given you. This is not about platforms, but it's just about the sphere. I'll use that word better the sphere of influence that the Lord's giving you. I just want to be faithful. You know, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I want to be faithful with what he's given me. And I want you to be faithful with what he's given you. Thank you again for listening. We pray that what was shared in this message encourages you and leaves a lasting impact on your life. Remember, we're called to respond to heaven instead of reacting to darkness. Let's be the change for those around us. Let's be a light in a dark world. God bless.